You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning. Uh, great announcements. I don't know how we do any better than that. Now, here's the reason. Uh, Caleb, or uh, Caleb, Caitlin, you guys were buddies, right? All right, youth ministry. Uh, you rode in on your bike this morning. Is that right? How many miles? Uh, ten? ten miles. So she gets to church. She looks perfect. No sweat. Nothing. Rode in on her bike. She says, I am pumped up. You're one of a kind. You're one of a kind when it comes to announcements, to worship, riding in on your bike, not sweating. <laughs> Caitlin's in the house. So, And Ben, you married her. That's right. That's all you have to say? Okay. You could have done better than that. Who's coaching this guy, Argenbreitz? Uh-oh. So this morning, uh, we're in Malachi chapter 2, and then it'll bridge to chapter 3. So turn to your Bibles. Malachi 2.17 is our first verse, but then it'll bridge over to chapter 3. But I want to open this morning with a prayer. It's a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church at Colossae. It's a prayer that I think is just valuable to always pray in our own faith walk, but corporately for the church. So let me start there this morning. In Colossians 1, 9 through 10, we read, Paul prayed, for this reason, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. So Paul was a man of prayer. We've talked about house of prayer. What a privilege. And notice his prayer. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And this next phrase is our topic this morning, and growing in the knowledge of God. What a beautiful, beautiful prayer that is. And I hope you see that living in a manner worthy of the gospel, bearing much fruit, doing the will of God is intimately connected to a knowledge of God. Now, please hear me biblically. When you think knowledge of God, just don't think head. It has to start with understanding. But knowledge of God, Proverbs chapter 1, has seven connotations Ultimately, our understanding leads to a heart response and leads to a life of wisdom, living out his will in a fruitful way. And so it begs the question this morning, are you growing in the knowledge of God? And again, not just head knowledge, heart knowledge, that you're seeing his life, his will, his fruit being born in your life on a daily basis. And so... This idea of growing in a knowledge of God is very daunting because we live in a culture that is increasingly decreasing in their knowledge of God. In other words, in our secular worldview, we're trying to dismiss anything that has a divine element. I recently saw Top Gun. Uh, by encouragement of my brother and some con or my brother, my son and some congregants, but the gentlemen in those in that movie, the key stars, lean towards Christian scientists, 
And what that simply means in our culture, hey, we like this Christian worldview, we like the morals of Christian, but we dismiss anything that has a divinity towards it, divine, supernatural, Bible, and so forth. And so it's a difficult thing, and the consequences, dear friends, are enormous when the knowledge of God erodes in our culture, in our communities, in our church, our home, our families, our marriage. Hosea 4, 6 says this. Listen to these words. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And it's knowledge about God. To be destroyed, would you agree with me? That is severe consequences. And that's exactly, in some ways, what has happened to Israel in 430 B.C., if you were here last week, it was a wonderful day in worship for many reasons, but one key reason, we commissioned three new elders. That was super fun. But for me personally, what was really neat is one of our brand new elders preached his first sermon, his first week of eldering. Name is Connor Elmet, and if you were here, he did such a good job. After the sermon, I encouraged Connor. I said, Connor, something unique about your talk it had so much Bible in it. I went back and counted up how many verses Connor used to complement, reinforce, cross-reference the text from Hosea. It was over 20 verses. This is, quote-unquote, a lay preacher. Way to go, guy. We should get more lay preachers in the pulpit these days. My conviction with Connor is cut Connor's sermon anywhere, and it bleeds Bible. He's grown in the knowledge of God. But what Connor did personally as he took me aside, he says, Keith, it was such a fruitful experience because I personally grew. And of course, it's not just head knowledge, it's heart knowledge being transformed. So Israel's in trouble, 430 BC. The Old Testament is ending and their spiritual life is eroding. It's deteriorating. Why? They have literally lost a theological worldview. Somehow the Bible just got put on a shelf and collected dust, and they couldn't think right about who God is, what God's will is for their life, and how to bear much fruit for his kingdom and glory. And so to uh, preface our passage this morning, I want to do a little review in Malachi. I want to look at three things that deteriorated uh, in their corporate life and personal life because of their lack of a knowledge of God. So if you have your... Um, Connect card, we'll start there. So deterioration number one, they were ignoring God's word. And friends, again, go back to Hosea, the consequences are enormous. My people are destroyed when they ignore my word. And so the, there's a pattern in the book of Malachi. I hope you've discovered it. God will say something to his people. They respond harshly, critically of God. And then he engages and tries to bring correction. Thank God for his gracious instruction in our life. Thank God that he would choose a messenger like Malachi, and that's what the name Malachi means, my messenger, to bring his word when Israel was so uh, drifting from the Lord spiritually. And so let me show you that pattern. You might recall in Matthew or Malachi 1 how it starts out. Here's what God says, Israel, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? That 
pattern is repeated seven times. This debate back and forth. Israel's frustrated with God and God's nurturing them, encouraging their heart to walk with him. Now, the question I had to ask is, the Old Testament, just if we limited it to the 39 books, right? Genesis to Malachi. It's just inundated with truth of the love of God. So not only experientially redeeming them from Egypt, remember we've already looked at that, that's the covenant love uh, is based on redemption. I redeemed you for a covenant love relationship. But everywhere you turn in the Old Testament, you see the love of God. So how did they forget it? How did they neglect God's word? Let me do a little review. Hosea 11.1 states, when Israel was a child, notice this, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Again, remembering redemption. I called my son, the intimate father-son relationship, out of Egypt. I love you, Israel. Then, Lamentations, many of you have memorized this. It's a tremendous verse. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new each and every morning. Great is whose faithfulness? God's. That's that Hesed love, that covenant love, that faithful love. Every day you and I wake up to the mercies of God. That's God's love, dear friends. How did they forget it? And then Jeremiah 31 3, when you put Jeremiah chapter 31 and 33 together, it's all about the new covenant. We're going to hit that this morning. But look at these beautiful words. I have loved you. Notice the phrase, what kind of love, people? with an everlasting love. That's a love that never ends, that never ceases. It is perpetual. It is ongoing. It's not fickle love. It's faithful love. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. And so, dear friends, I would suggest this, that Israel had a severe case of biblical amnesia, or what we call in modern times biblical illiteracy. And I want you to know something. What was true then is so true now. The deterioration of biblical awareness in our culture and our churches is just enormous. You know, the average home has over six Bibles in their home in America. The average home, six plus Bibles. That's wonderful news, isn't it? But guess what the data is? We are not increasing in our knowledge of God and worship of our knowledge of God and togetherness as a church and community. Now it's decreasing. Yeah, we have the book, but we're not engaging the book. But then there's another issue that James, the brother of Jesus, brings up. He said to his audience, hey, just don't be hearers of the word, but do what it says. That's so important to lean into the knowledge of God, to remember his word. Deterioration number two, and this gets harder, folks. It's a tough sermon to, to write, to be honest with you. Slandering God's character. Now, you might think, wow, that's a pretty harsh phrase. Stick with me. I'm going to show it to you. It is unbelievable of how the children were treating their heavenly father, if I can use that metaphor. So Israel was guilty of gossiping and complaining about God to one another. In other words, his name was being deteriorated in the community. That's what gossip and slander does. Let me show it to you. Malachi 1.6. God says, hey, if I'm a master, where's your fear of me, says Yahweh of hosts to the priest, 
Notice this next phrase, who despise my name. Think about it, what it means to despise someone's name. Let's say you're just in a community, you're having lunch today, three or four couples, you know, from West Wind, and all of a sudden a name comes up, and everybody just kind of is like, ugh, let's not talk about that person. That's what it means to despise someone's name. Israel, God's people, despised his name? Folks, this is serious business. How did they get there? After God redeeming them, showing his faithful, hesed love. Well, let me show you another picture of it. Malachi 2.17, they complain, where is the God of justice? And so they're calling God out. Wait, if you're holy, you should be just. Well, if you're just, how come you're not punishing sinners? Well, they forgot that they're sinners. And that's the sad thing. And so despising God's name. You know, when I read Malachi, it's almost reminiscent of what took place in the wilderness wanderings. Are you familiar? 40 years they come out of Egypt. Read Numbers. Just go through the book of Numbers once in one sitting. You know what you're going to see? 14 times, in 14 unique ways, Israel criticized God. Do you remember the narrative? Ah, I'm thirsty. Where's the beef? My feet are blistered. We got to keep walking. Who died and left you, boss, Moses? Are we there yet? And the list went on and on. But friends, it didn't start with criticizing their circumstances. It didn't stop with criticizing their leaders. You know what it ultimately pointed to? Their criticism of their circumstance was ultimately an indictment on God. Let me show that to you. In Numbers 14, 26 through 27, we read this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, how long must I endure this evil community that keeps complaining about me? I have heard the Israelites complain that they make against who? Me. Complaints ultimately got guys regarding our circumstances go vertical. Yeah, we might pick on this and frustrated with that and grumbling about this. Ultimately, what we're saying is, God, I'm dissatisfied with your will for my life right now. And so, friends, that's exactly what's going on here. In Malachi, let me show it to you. Malachi 3, check this out. We'll get there. Your words against me are harsh, the Lord says. Can you imagine God speaking to us, individually or corporately, your words, West Wind Church, are harsh towards me? Wow. I mean, I just feel the weight of that. This is God addressing his people. Yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? And notice what the Lord says. It is useless to serve God. That's what Israel is saying. We've served you these past thousand years as a people of God, and look at what you've given us. The temple isn't as cool. Persia still has got his hand on us. We got enemies all around. I'm just not happy with my circumstances. And they push back and they complain. So the question is, what is the remedy? And so, friends, I want to take you back to what I shared a few weeks ago. I believe this with all my heart. We're going to do it at communion today. The remedy continually is remembering God's fingerprint in your life. Remembering his God works in your life. Remembering the God stories. Friends, if we neglect to remember, guess what? We're going to fall prey to this kind of grumbling and complaining, slandering God's name. So can I give you a few thoughts about remembering? 
How many of you grew up in a Christian home? Let me just see your hands. I'm just curious. Do you remember and thank God for that? Thanking God for your heritage? Thanking God that you heard the gospel early on? How many of you grew up with me in a non-Christian home? Just me. Okay, there's three of us. Way to go, you guys. But remember the day of your salvation when God redeemed us from the pit. Folks, I'll never forget that. I'm a first-generation Christian. I'll never forget the day my mom came to genuine faith in Christ at my baptism. Remember. Remember when cancer struck a loved one, a family member, or a dear friend, and you prayed and God worked, and they're cancer-free today. Remember when you were wondering how you're going to pay the bills or what the next chapter of employment was, and God opened the door. He was sovereign and provided for you. Remember the mentors in your life. Who are they today? I was with some of my mentors a few weeks ago. Men I've known for over 30 years, elders when I was a youth pastor, still mentoring and feeding into our lives. Remember and thank God for those kind of people. Remember divine appointments. When was the last time you had a divine appointment? Where all of a sudden something happened, God did it, you knew it was his design, and your path, your trajectory changed. Let's remember Speaking at a men's retreat a few weeks ago, I talked a little bit about this because I did three talks on Malachi. And I talked about this remembering. A senior man, 80 years old, Kenny, I've known Kenny now for 35 years, dear, dear friend. He says, Keith, I'm going home and I'm going to start remembering more. And what he's going to do is he's going to pull things out of the archives and put them around his home. And every time you walk into this room or you walk into this space, or you hop into your vehicle, there's something to remember the God story in your life. You go to my office right now. I would encourage you, just stop by. Look around the office. Guess what? It's nothing but memories. Forget about the books, okay? By the way, I'm giving some of those away if you want some books. I got too many. But there's so much paraphernalia. A staff from Kenya, and I remember the week, privileged to be a part of a discipleship training school, and photos and trinkets. I got this beautiful compass that was given to me by a dear friend, John Klein. I'll always remember that compass. Keith, stay focused. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Remembering. Throw up the pictures. Put out the paraphernalia. Let God's story remind you of then so you can endure today. Deterioration number three, and this, it, it gets worse, hardening one's heart. And really, that's what happened to Israel, folks. In Malachi, seven times they had a sarcastic response to God engaging them. I love you. Oh, really? Where have you loved me? Oh, you're defaming my name. Oh, yeah, really? How have we done that? Next week, it's a hard one, robbing God. Oh, yeah, how have we done that? There's all this pushback. Like, you can put it in God's face. What amazes me is God puts up with us. Because we've done some of this too, folks. Their heart has gotten hard. Now look at Malachi 2.17. This is our text this morning. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you ask, how have we wearied him? Folks, repeated sin hardened their hearts towards God, and therefore... The unrepentant sin just, just caused them to keep resisting. And the question you have to ask is, when you get to that point, what is the remedy? And there's only one answer to that, and let me show it to you. It's in Hebrews 3.15. And this is a constant refrain in both Testaments. Today, 
right now, this morning, 10 a.m., if you hear his voice, if God is speaking to you, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Folks, be careful of a hard heart. You know what happened to Pharaoh? He hardened his heart. Guess what? Then God added more hardness. We push back like Israel. We live with that heart in heart. It can be grave consequences. But you know what's beautiful about the book of Malachi and God? Once again, God steps to the plate and he nurtures. He's the God of grace and mercy and hope and he cuts a path for them to renew their relationship with him. And so that leads to our blessing. And the blessing is this, an understanding and appreciation of the character of God will help us grow in the knowledge of God. And folks, again, it's just not heart appreciation. Why did I add that word? Yes, we have to understand, we have to know, but we have to value God, who he is, his character, his attributes. Why? They'll transform us. So four things about God's character, and then this morning we have the privilege to celebrate communion. Character number one, God is patient, not unjust. In this passage, Israel's indicting God for being an unjust God. In other words, they're indicting his holiness. God is perfectly holy. That is the ultimate attribute. And when you're perfectly holy, you will always be just. You can't be unjust. You can't deny your character. If you're indicting God's justice, you're ultimately indicting his holiness. Therefore, you're indicting the essence of who God is. This is a big deal. Please capture this. And so look at verse 17, chapter 2. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you ask how have we wearied him. When you say everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight, and he is pleased with them, or where is the God of justice? You know what Israel's doing right now? They're looking around, and they saw people sinning. Not necessarily their own people, but the quote-unquote pagans, the non-Christians, if you will. They looked out in their neighborhood, into their culture, their society, and man, were they pointing the finger, indicting everybody who, quote-unquote, wasn't living according to Torah or the standard of God. And you know what they concluded? That God was turning a blind eye to their sin. That God somehow delighted in sin that God somehow blesses the sinner for their sinning. Therefore, they call him unjust. I would conclude, as I understand the word of God, that is a deep, deep misunderstanding of the character of God. He is holy, perfectly holy, right? Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And because he's perfectly holy, he is absolutely just. So they've abandoned a knowledge of the Holy One. They didn't understand his basic attributes of justness. God is absolutely just, and we're going to see that. And they're indicting him. They're calling him out. You know what the problem with Israel was? And it's our problem too, folks. Sometimes we put our focus horizontally, and we forget the vertical focus. In the first five chapters of Isaiah... Isaiah looked out, man, he's pointing a finger, he's jabbing, this sin, that sin, calling everybody out. Isaiah 6, he sees the Lord seated on the throne. He says, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. 
Folks, let's put our focus vertical and then we'll see our sin as we should. And then we'll have a lot more grace for those who fall short concurrently. You know what Israel wanted to do? Israel wanted to do with sinners what I want to do with flies all the time. How many of you guys like me are very impatient with flies? Now, now let's vote. Come on. There's a few more in the house, right? So when I'm at home in the missile home, right, one fly shows up, boom, everything stops. Keith against the fly. Now notice the version of this fly swatter. It's not a little wimpy, kind of flappy fly swatter. This is a heavy duty. Uh, Sears and Roebuck can order it online. So I arm myself. And if there's just one uh, fly in 3,000 square feet, it's me against him. And guess what happens when that fly comes around? And by the way, when it lands, just so you know this, this is true, flies have a rear trajectory, meaning it's going to take off this way. So if a fly's there, you don't hit in front, you hit in back, right? <laughs> Snuff them out. And then the average day, I'll say, Ellen, I'm two for two today. That's like a good day with the fly. Why do I share that dumb illustration? Actually, it's a pretty good one. That's what Israel wanted to do with sinners. But you know what they forgot? They forgot they were part of the sinful community. If God treated us like that, do you know what that means for you and me? We get snuffed out today. He doesn't treat us according to our sin. He's patient with us. Yes, justice will come. And it ultimately came at Calvary. Can I show you a few beautiful verses about his patience in the New Testament? Let me show it to you. Romans 2.4. Please don't miss this, guys. This is transformational. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is, is intended to do what? Leads you to repentance. His patient kindness leads us to repentance. Second Peter, the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all come to repentance. Paul talked about his own personal testimony in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, Christ Jesus demonstrated his extraordinary patience with a persecutor of the church, a guy who murdered Christian, who was so anti-Jesus, extraordinary patience. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you thankful for God's patience in your life? Because I tell you, folks, if God wasn't patient with me, he'd have a big old fly swatter and snuff Keith out pretty quickly. And I say that sincerely. Thank God for his patience. Israel forgot that God was patient with them. Look at the indictments. Look at how they were treating God. If anybody deserved to be snuffed out, it would have been Israel, but he's patient. So let's stand in awe of a patient God and his patience is kind. It's gospel. It leads us to repentance as it did the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Lord. Now, you might wonder, is there a day coming? There is a day coming, so never abuse God's grace and patience. Nahum 1.3 says this, the Lord is slow to anger but great in power. The Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. There's coming a day, as we're going to see in our passage today, Sin has consequences, yes, but he's patient. 
He brings us to repentance. He wants to transform us through Christ. But there's coming a day where the guilty will stand before the great white throne of God. Character number two, God is redeemer, not condemner. And again, worldview here, folks. This is how some people in our culture view God, that he's harsh, he's against us, he's a cosmic killjoy. He is not. Yes, he's just. Sin will be taken care of. There's consequences. But ultimately, you want to know the character of God? Redeemer. It's a beautiful picture of who he is. So where do I get that from? Look at Malachi 3.1. This is a beautiful promise. See, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you desire. See, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. I believe this. <clears throat> when you think about the prophecies and the fulfillments from Old to New Testament, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, is the clearest gospel uh, passage we have in the Old Testament. It is just so precise. God is going to send his messenger. And by the way, if you're taking notes, there's two messengers. Don't miss this from this verse. And so, when God, when Israel was at their worst, God was at his best sending forth his messengers. Let me talk about two messengers. Messenger number one, to prepare the way for the Messiah. And I think you already know who that is, right? If you're Bibled, we're talking about John the Baptist. Make no mistake about it, Jesus points specifically in Matthew 11 to Malachi 3. He's quoting Malachi. So let me read that to you. Jesus declared, but what do you see? Go out. A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And far more than a prophet. This is the one it is written about. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. And so basically in Matthew 11, what is Jesus doing? He's pointing back 400 years to my messenger, John the Baptist, who prepared the way. John's ministry was quite remarkable. It was short-lived, but it's summarized in John chapter 1. Let me share that with you. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I told you about. Hone in on that phrase. So Jesus shows up. John's ministry is full-blown. He says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What does he say to his disciples? I've been telling you about him all along. John prepared the way for the Lord. And from that time on, what happened? John's disciples followed Jesus. John decreased. Jesus increased. John fulfilled his mission. Number one. Number two, Jesus, who will inaugurate the new covenant. Look at Malachi 3.1b. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Notice this next phrase. It's really beautiful. The messenger of the covenant you desire. See, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Who's the messenger of the covenant? It's Jesus Christ, the Messiah. John the Baptist prepares the way. Jesus, the messenger of the covenant, shows up, and the new covenant gets inaugurated. How? We're going to celebrate it in his blood. You know what Jesus was able to do that Israel wasn't? Full every, fulfill every covenant to man. He lived the perfect, sinless life. He was the unblemished lamb. 
He loved the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. There wasn't any blemish in his life. He came to do what? Pay the ransom, shed his blood, his precious blood, give his life for you and for me. So he died, he buried, rose from the grave. He lives today, seated at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for us. That is the new covenant. And friends, when you and I put our faith and trust in him, we become children of God, sealed by the Holy Spirit, indwelt and empowered by the Spirit. And the list goes on and on. What a remarkable thing. And so this idea of redeeming versus condemnation is summarized in a very familiar verse to you. Let me share it with you. John 3, 16 through 18. Sometimes we only quote the front end. Let's look at the whole passage. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world. Please hang your head on that. And when people are critical about God, critical about the work of Christ, God sent his son Jesus not to bring condemnation, folks but that the world might be saved through him. God sent Christ to save us, to redeem us, not to condemn us. But then notice, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Friends, the question you have to ask this morning is, what condemns us? What separates us from God? What causes eternal consequences? It's one thing. It's sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of Scripture is bringing redemption to take, the, to, to take care of the problem of sin. Now, the Old Testament, of course, Old Covenant, you're covering up the sin. The New Testament's beautiful. Jesus wipes away our sin, and that's remarkable. So the question this morning is, have you experienced his salvation, his redemption? Character number three, God is purifier and not destroyer. And this is, this is beautiful, folks. Um, look at verses two through six. It's a longer passage. In fact, because some of you are yawning, I caught you. Stand up. We're going to read it together. Why not? You know what I mean? Get the blood flowing. I get to stand and sweat. You get to sit and sleep. All right. So stick with me. This is the chunk right here. And notice the language. And, and one of the things you look at if you're studying the Bible, look for repetition. If you want to know what a passage is about, think about what is being said over and over and over again. 1 Corinthians 13, we know it's about love because it says love a lot. All right. Here we go. <clears throat> so here's what God says. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who will be able to stand when he appears? For he'll be like a refiner's fire and like a cleansing lie. He will be like a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. He'll refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old and years gone by. I will come to you in judgment, and I'll be ready to witness against sorcerers, adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the widow and the fatherless, and cheat the wage earner, and against those who deny justice to the foreigner. They do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, because I, Yahweh, have not changed. 
Notice this. Your descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Please be seated. <clears throat> so what is the ministry? What is the focus of the messenger, Jesus Christ? Friends, it's very simple here. Jesus comes as a refining fire to purify he comes as a cleansing lie to clean us. As a metallurgist who works with silver and gold, he's removing the dross to make what? Something pure and perfect. And friends, that's exactly the gospel. That is the work of Christ. When you and I put our faith and trust in Christ, guess what happens? We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. God looks down upon us, sees Christ's righteousness, redeemed, pure, cleansed. But there's another group in this passage. It's the unclean group. It's the group who reject the messenger, the Messiah. And they're living in their sin. And their sin is overwhelming. And God says someday that sin will be judged. And the choice we have to make at any given point in time in our faith journey is this. How will we deal with the sin in our life even today? Will it be through the righteous work and shed blood of Jesus Christ? Or will it be what all world religions do? Try to clean up our mess. That's the choice. And when we say yes to the Messiah, when we say yes to Jesus Christ, God's messenger, we have the privilege, folks, to be purified, to become what Paul said, a virgin ready to meet the bridegroom at the wedding feast. And so Revelation 7 culminates with these beautiful words. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude, notice, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. There's no better way you can describe the multitudes in heaven that have embraced the messenger, the Messiah, the Redeemer, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were robed in white. That's not their righteousness. That is the righteousness of Christ imparted, technically imputed to us, his finished work, with palm branches in their hand, peace, peace people. And they crowd out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to who? To our God who is seated on the throne. And to who? The Lamb. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Today we'll celebrate the Lamb of God, his shed blood, his perfect life. Now in conclusion. Character number four, and this should really super encourage us. God is unchanging, never vacillating. Look at verse six. You want to talk about dealing with their justice indictments? You're unjust. You should whack those sinners, snuff them out. Here's what God says to Israel. You forgot something. Because I, Yahweh, have not changed. Notice, you, descendants of Jacob, have not been destroyed. Because I am merciful, because I am gracious, because I am patient with sinners, you, Israel, have not been snuffed out. You want justice for pagan people? You want justice for sinners? I could have done the very thing to you that you are asking for others. But because I'm Yahweh, because I don't change, because I made a covenant love commitment to you, I am going to fulfill that covenant. 
That's the God we serve. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. I remember early on in my faith journey, this is one of the verses that I hung my hat on. God is constant. The key word, big word, elders like it, you might not, immutable. He doesn't change. He's not fickle. He doesn't vacillate. He's not tossed around like the wind. God is a constant presence in our life, and we can count on him. He's never changing. He's immutable. And so what do we do with that? I hope, as God wanted Israel to do, to stand in awe of him. He's gracious. He's redeeming. He's calling us to himself. He's sending a messenger, John the Baptist, for the ultimate messenger, the Redeemer, Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, said this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Notice this next phrase, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And so three things to close out as we prepare for communion. How do we respond? Number one, and please hear me, and I say this sincerely, teaching every one of us. Israel just seemed to love pointing the finger elsewhere, indicting those around them for their sin. But they had a hard time doing what James, the brother of Jesus, said, looking into the mirror looking into the law of God, looking into Christ. And so it starts with us, folks, and the thing that God calls us to do is what John the Baptist called to do in Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Next week, we're going to talk more about repentance. And what it means is I'm going the wrong way, I'm going to turn and go the right way. Start with yourself. Be more like Isaiah. Experience God on his throne. Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. Do what 1 Corinthians 11 says. Examine yourself. That's repentance. Secondly, renew. In other words, let's grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sometimes I hear from sincere believers who love the Lord, Keith, pastor, I'm stuck. Any way to help me get unstuck? Or I need something new to get my faith journey alive and fresh. Yes. There's a ton of resources. But one of the things we talked about uh, this past elders meeting is one of the best things you can do is be in an accountability relationship. I know there's a gal's Bible study that meets during the week and then one on Friday. They're in an accountability relationship. They're growing together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the premise of D groups. We're going to do stuff here during the week, and when we come back together, we're going to contribute to each other. Have accountability partners. People will hold you healthily accountable to keep growing. 2 Peter 3.18 grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And then finally, we've already touched on this, remember. I've been so inspired through Malachi to remember. I think the premise, the foundation of communion, as we'll celebrate this morning, is to remember. And so I want to invite our elders and their wives to come we have Greg and Cheryl over here and Jim and Jane over here. This is going to be the first time we're serving communion um, since COVID. 
in a very personal way. And so what we want to do is, uh, after I read these scriptures and make a few comments, we want to give you the opportunity, as you feel led, to just come up. Uh, Greg and Cheryl, Jim and Jane, they'll serve you. Uh, we just want to bless you. And just have a really special time as we celebrate communion. But let's think through what Paul said to the Corinthian church and to us. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this, how? In remembrance of me. When you eat the bread this morning, think about the messenger. Think about what God had intended all through the Old Testament. Everything was forecasting Messiah. From the lamb being slain in the temple, the blood being shed, the types pointing to Jesus, the messenger to come, he came and he gave his body. He was broken so we wouldn't, be ha we wouldn't have to. In the same way, Paul says, after supper, he also took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Notice, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Pray with me, please. And then Amy will lead us in worship. And then we encourage you to come forward to receive communion. Let's pray together. Father, we look back on the most significant event in history. 2,000 years ago when Jesus said yes. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And we thank you today for the new covenant established in Christ's blood, the precious blood of the Lamb. We thank you that Jesus fulfilled every aspect of covenant love relationship with you. So fathers, we say yes to Christ as we come to know him as Savior and Lord and live in this covenant love relationship. Help us to remember. We've been redeemed from Egypt, from slavery, from bondage to sin. You've forgiven all our sins, past, present, and future. Cast them as far as the east is from the west. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And God, as we celebrate this morning your sacrifice through Christ, the gift of life through his blood, help us to stand in awe of you. And Father, if there's need today for change, if there's need for repentance, would you please, by your spirit and word, bring that? Father, if some are stuck would you help us to move towards you and continue to grow in your grace and knowledge? We want to be a people of God and be a fragrance for Christ in the gospel. And so, Father, may it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come as the Lord leads.